Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm privileged to be chatting to Chris Chavez. Welcome to the other side of the mic, and it's going to be um, interesting be, being an interviewee rather than the interviewer, Chris. Definitely. Yeah, When uh, and thanks for having me. Like Flipping the tables is always a little bit fun uh, for me to be on the other side of things, but I'm looking forward to it. How are the legs feeling? Legs are feeling good, man. Uh, I'm just getting back into sort of training a little bit uh, recently. Uh, I took like a couple weeks off, but I think this will be a good year. Um, I'm focused on breaking five minutes for the mile, uh, three hours for the marathon, 18 minutes for 5K. So I've set some goals out there and I'm ready to start to get back into training. That's awesome. Um, for those that don't know Chris, uh, Chris is the founder of Sidious Mag. Uh, he's a sports journalist, uh, a writer at Sports Illustrated. Uh, his, whom he covered uh, the Rio Olympics in 2016 with. He's previously worked at ESPN, Sporting News, and Flow Track. How did you get started in sports journalism? Yeah, so I think for me, I've always wanted to get involved in sports. Growing up, I wanted to be a baseball player for the New York Yankees. Uh, and then when I got to high school, I didn't make the baseball team. So I had to kind of pivot and figure out how is it that I'm going to try and remain close to sports and specifically, you know, with the Yankees. Like I wanted to someday call Yankee Stadium like my office. And um, I just decided the closest thing is going to have to be being a broadcaster or, um, you know, a sports reporter. So I started doing that for my high school newspaper, covering sports, eventually like worked my way up through it. And at the same time, I was a member of the track team at my high school. I was a sprinter, very average. Like, uh, my best event was probably the 200 meters. And my final PR came in my last high school race. It was uh, 25-1 for the 200. But, nice. you know, went off to college. And, uh, you know, being a sprinter at that level, like, that's pretty average. So it's like, um, it, it's not going to, there's no, no more racing opportunities for me. So I decided that. I'm going to start running a little bit more distance. And so got into doing some 5Ks. I watched the New York City Marathon on TV. Figured that is something I want to do someday. And all this time, like, I'm just attending Marquette University out in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for, for journalism. And one night, I just happened to stay in. And I watched uh, some track meet out in California, a live stream of it. And I was hooked. Like, this is, you know, just a couple weeks before, I'd run my first ever 5k and it was like 21 minutes or something like that and to see professionals do it in like 13 minutes blew me away and i wanted to know more about the sport before the 2012 olympics rolled around in london because at that point i'm one of those people who just tuned into the olympics for usain bolt um <laughs> i'd watch him great awesome see him win and then just 
kind of tune out. But I realize that there's so many more stories out there to tell and a lot more interesting athletes. So I started watching old races, studying up on people, and really started to become a true fan of the sport that summer um, in 2012. And that's really what kickstarted sort of my involvement within athletics. Yeah, nice. And do you see yourself, um, yeah, in five, ten years, still staying with athletics? Um, like, you, you do cover a range of sports, uh, yeah, with Sports Illustrated and, and uh, write a range of stories. Uh, but do you still uh, see yourself uh, with this passion uh, going forward? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm only... 27 years old so give me five years I think I could probably do it for another five years of covering the sport I also realized that I think like what I add to um, the media coverage of the sport is a little bit different and people seem to enjoy it and if I were to pull the plug and just stop doing it a lot of people would lose out on things is something that they that they like uh, I've had that sort of thought cross my head sometimes when you know it, it could be it could be a lot on me to continue producing podcasts and on top of all the work that I do for Sports Illustrated, um, it, it, like it's, this, is a, this is a passion project for me, and at the same time, but it's it is time consuming, and so I wonder sometimes with you know when you get a little bit of a feeling of possible burnout, I'm wondering if like is it, is it worth it? And then it comes down to the fact that yes, people are still they listen to this podcast, they read what I write, um, and they take an enjoyment in it, so I'm going to keep doing it, and so. You know, I, I, I could definitely see myself still doing this for, for five more years, but I also want to get to the point where, you know, I want to try and help find some of that uh, next generation of, of track and field reporters and, and, and content creators and that kind of stuff and helping, you know, sort of maybe fund those those aspirations or, or mentor them because, you know, this is a, it's a beautiful sport and I want to see more people involved in, in, in the media coverage of it. Fantastic. Yeah, because that's how I came across your name. It was through your great podcast that you you run and um, listening to some of the interviews. What's the difference between, or in your opinion, be, uh, between interesting journalism and and mundane journalism? Uh, so, or uh, what's the difference between a great story and and something that really creates interest and um, ma- makes an impact versus something yeah. that's a bit stale? Yeah, so that's a great question because, you know, I think there's there's two ways of going about it. And this brings me back to, like, sort of very funny enough, it was a podcast interview I did with um, Usain Bolt, of all people, because <laughs> this was in the summer of 2019. Um, and I went about it sort of walking in there to do a Q&A. And the person before me was from, like, a newspaper or something like that. And they just asked them a lot of the same questions he gets all the time. Where it's like, are you thinking of coming out of retirement? Um, how's retirement life and retirement been and all this kind of stuff. And he gets that so much that I came into it a little bit differently. And I was asking him more about like, why don't you follow Justin Gatlin on Instagram? And like, what do you think of, I see you follow Zion Williamson. Like what impresses you about him? And like, give me your thoughts on sort of this next generation of sprinters. And so it was a little bit different than, you know, the very structured old school way of going about it. I think the fact that I bring a little bit more personality and flair to the conversations I have on the podcast, people are able to let their guard down a little bit more and, and open up a bit and share some of the stories. Like I, I really love going through 
the career of some of these awesome athletes and hearing the behind the scenes stuff. We see the results, we watch the races, but what was it that led to those moments, sort of the training, the uh, the night before? What did some of these people eat beforehand? And like, there's there's some little details that I think get lost. And so one of my favorite things to do, even when I see like a very interesting and read a very interesting story, someone could obviously publish it first, but if I want to take it a step further, I'm taking notes when I'm reading some of these stories and, I'm, and I think, okay, they asked that question. What question did they ask to uh, get that sort of response? And then how else can we take it like a step further? And I want to hear more about, you know, X, Y, Z thing. And so I, I think I just love paying attention to small details and, and kind of hearing more uh, about the behind the scenes of, of, of how these moments come to be. So that's kind of like how I approach different things. And so, uh, yeah, and, and it's being a little bit more, more personable when it comes to it too. Now I've noticed that um, in researching for this chat, I saw an article that you wrote about Usain Bolt and it was more about his manager, his athlete manager, Ricky Sims. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's an awesome take because I've never read an article about Ricky Sims. Uh, and so then I knew more about his agent. Uh, and then there was also an article that I saw, it was about um, Ben Flanagan's mum. Uh, so he just won the NCAA 10,000 meter title. It was with Sports Illustrated and uh, uh, he just celebrated and he was, he kept saying, oh, where's my mum? Where's my mum? And then, you know, the next, oh, I don't know, it might have been that day that you interviewed his mum. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah. I think um, you know, it's, that's a different take. Um, but it, it was interesting. Like, I loved reading that article. Thanks. Yeah, those are two really awesome stories. And I haven't thought about them in, in, in a while. I do really enjoy sort of that Ricky Sims story because um, that summer it was, I was working for ESPN and, it was interesting because I've tried to always find a different angle that hasn't sort of been done. And with Bolt, that's so tough because, like, he's, you know, the biggest athlete in the sport. And so I realized that I did, no one had really tapped too much into sort of, like, the relationship between him and his manager. And I wanted to know a little bit more about him. So I happened to get the opportunity when they were both in New York to sit down and catch up. And so... It also granted me the opportunity to do a one-on-one -on -one interview with Usain and so that, that I can never pass that up. And so <laughs> that was really cool. And then the, for the Ben Flanagan one, that was that was a lot of fun. I was I remember watching that race from home and then seeing him win, saw the reaction on TV, and then I just like shot him a, uh, a message. It might have been on Instagram or Twitter or something like that. And then I said to him, I was like, hey, you know, congratulations on the win. And, you know, I want to write something short for Sports Illustrated. And you said, where's my mom? I'd love to talk to your mom about the race in instead. And so like it was instead of him. So that was just kind of like a little bit more fun. Uh, and so, yeah, it, like it's always about finding those those fun angles. Yeah, but I think like everyone's mom's pretty, pretty honest. And so you got like this good insight to what kind of character he was and how important do you feel storytelling is for the growth of athletics and the sport. Oh, I think it's I think it's so important. And I think like just the uh, transparency that athletes have in sort of providing insight into their training and keeping it so real, I think um, goes a long way. It's interesting because someone like Kyle Merber does a great job, middle distance runner here in the States who 
might not have the accolades of uh, a world championship medal or world record or even an Olympic appearance, but what he did was uh, he just announced like his sort of retirement uh, from the sport this past week. And what he did was he just provided a lot of humor on Twitter and, and uh, brought people along the journey whenever he was injured and like trying to make this comeback and that kind of stuff. I think people really appreciate it. So like when I would go to a track meet that he put on or something like that, um, yeah, there's probably guys like Chris O'Hare or Nick Willis who are finishing ahead of him and, and winning these races. But afterwards, like seeing the fans flock to him because they have an attachment to being a fan of his and his personality, I think was super valuable. And you're seeing it sort of being taken to the next level. There's, you know, Tin Man Elite is doing a great job with sort of like establishing themselves and, and having, you know, this video presence on YouTube and that kind of stuff. So it, it, it is like very interesting to see the generational changes that go on with, with athletes and sharing their stories. Yeah. And I, I read an article uh, on the Sidious Mag uh, website by Daniel Wynn um, the end of last year. Um, and it was, how do you make uh, track more entertaining? But then he, he thought that was the wrong question. He's, um, Cause he, he said like, I mean, track is entertaining, but it's like, how do you make it more popular? Um, and yeah, it was a really good article actually, um, because when he sort of went into it, like track has suspense, like um, you can, it's exciting. Um, you know, there's moments of comedy and you can get engrossed in it. Like, so it, it you know, there it's got all the ingredients to, to, be popular but then he sort of goes in like why isn't it popular um yeah like what what are your thoughts on 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 that and and is it is it through this storytelling that that's how we're going to be able to bridge the gap a little bit yes dude it's funny that you bring up that story by by daniel that he wrote because he wrote that two years ago and we just kind of kept it in the back end of the website for the longest time and he and i are are good friends because we're both here in new york city we run for the same team the brooklyn track club here in new york and so um we've talked about this many times just sort of like on runs and and, um yeah i agree with him the fact that like yeah the sport is already entertaining and there are the the personalities are there it sort of comes down to having much better announcers who give the proper context and, and sort of build up what is happening in front of the audience's eyes. Um, instead of just like watering it down in the simplest of terms, I think it is already sort of interesting. You just have to put out the product, uh, like the presentation of it a little bit better. And so I agree wholeheartedly with, with all the points that Daniel made in there. Um, there's so many changes that could be done. Am I one of those people who thinks that the sport could ever be you know, an A-list sport like the NBA or <laughs> or the NFL. Like, no, I'm a realist. Like, I, I don't think it'll ever get there. Um, I think that right now track and field is probably like a D-level sport. Um, as much as I love it, but it, like, not it's not knocking it. It's being very honest where uh, I think if you watch a track meet the way it's operated now, it's very similar to how it was in the 70s. The product when you watch an NBA game nowadays and you watch an NBA game from the 70s is very, very different. And so it's not that there has to be these revolutionary sort of changes to the product that's being presented. I think it's just sort of like the um, the actual presentation of it and the delivery on the broadcast and that kind of stuff is what um, should be sort of uh, – adjusted a little bit and can, it can be changed up a little bit so 
um, yeah, that's kind of where my head is at, sort of with with, with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I I really loved the article because um, it made made a bit of sense to me um, uh, in terms of like if your everyday punter was just watching a race, like it's hard to understand um, because like splits are meaningless. Um, but then I think um, when you're sort of better painting a story and you're um, uh, like you're, you're trying to explain, you know, where people have come from um, and you, yeah, you paint that picture a little bit better, um, you know, people might buy into it a little bit more. Um, in your experience, what will bridge the gap between, say, running nerds and those that don't sport follow the sport that closely like um like how can we make progress there yeah i think there's there's a challenge when it comes to the accessibility to the sport too i mean you just think of how many subscriptions you need to be able to watch anything and i think about the the fact that i came into being interested in the sport by stumbling upon a live stream and watching it and then getting hooked on it like that wouldn't have happened nowadays because like I'd have to, I'd be blocked by a paywall and that kind of stuff. So maybe if there's a way of, of, you know, having casting that wider net and having it, the entry point for these people to be a little bit easier is always, you know, a good thing too. So it's like having more meets on, on TV or broadcast for free. Um, it shouldn't come down to sort of like the, the viewer to pay up and, and pony up on it sometimes uh, like that that toll and that burden so there's that and i think i'm trying to think what else there's pros being transparent and like open and, and i think that also really helps you see a great job of it with the northern arizona elite uh team where they really peel back the curtain and everyone has a personality and is personable where um the common person can relate to them uh Stephanie Bruce, you know, has a big wide appeal with, you know, women who are mothers and uh, has shared that part of her journey. That's super valuable. And so uh, Scott Fobble is burrito mafia and has taken <laughs> on this sort of like personality. Like, so pros doing that help connect and bridge that gap. So, you know, they're, they're the people finishing at the front of these marathons, but there's probably some people in the back who also know who they are. And so it's it's really trying to find that common ground because we all run the same distance. You know, we all train and that kind of stuff. So we, ha we have that understanding. Um, so share that journey. And I think you're able to connect with some of those people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With um, FlowTrack, uh, when you did see that um, original uh, uh, track race in 2012, how did that eventually sort of um, lead to your involvement in, in um, athletics and running journalism. So did you volunteer for, did you um, volunteer for a role with FlowTrack? Um, how did that sort yeah, of so work? I, after I watched that meet, I just shot an email sort of to the FlowTrack guys and said, hey, like the Adidas Grand Prix, which was a diamond league at the time in New York City was happening that summer. So I was like, I wanna go and help out with that. Um, and I happened to catch them at the right time. Like they were still growing at that point. They were 20,000 something followers on Twitter. Um, so nothing too extravagant. Um, so I got really lucky at that point where they, they credentialed me and then I got to go to this track meet and, and I helped out with interviews and live tweeting and that kind of stuff. And so it was, um, 
it was the, a door that opened and I kind of just like kept my foot in there where they asked me to help out at a meet in Wisconsin, a cross country meet. And I did. And I, and I did my part by providing them with stats and all this kind of stuff. And I showed that I cared and, and I, and I took pride in sort of the work that I was doing behind the scenes. And so, um, then they asked me to start going to track meets all over the country every weekend and I couldn't say no. So I just, uh, I took it upon myself to sacrifice the typical college weekends and the parties and all that to go out and watch people run in circles and interview them. And, and it helped a lot because then that following summer, I went out to Europe, did the European circuit. So got to go to a bunch of different countries and that was a trip of a lifetime. Um, and this entire time I'm sort of building this credibility and rapport with athletes and coaches and agents and that kind of, that, that is still super valuable to me to this very day. So that was that really did kickstart sort of my career within covering track and field and i've been super fortunate to have made it a professional career ever since then and so um yeah i'm, I'm forever grateful for for that first opportunity and and acknowledge just how much luck played into it a little bit but at the same time i was like kind of busting my chops for for those four years between that and then going to the olympics in 2016 so um made it worth it for sure uh, in in 2017, that's when you started Sidious Mag. Um, like between Olympics, there's four years. Uh, I mean, I'm just interested in like what a typical day looks like for Chris Chavez, like in terms of uh, like uh, you can, like um, how much of it is. Uh, reporting on athletics, how much of it is working with Sports Illustrated and um, yeah, how do you devote a day and break up a day? Yeah, so I'll get up around 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock sometimes, and I'll edit a podcast episode or two and sometimes like because a lot of these shows that I, that I do are structured in like an interview format, it's just literally just, you know, dropping them in the, in the editor and then like listening through occasionally making any sort of cut but for the most part i do enjoy uh like the conversation just flows and then and there might not be anything to cut so i'm just listening through everything double checking it so i'm doing that as i'm like getting my morning started pouring some coffee <laughs> and just getting going and you know that gives me enough time that nine o'clock rolls around and nine o'clock is when i start my job with sports illustrated and my job with sports illustrated throughout the day is to help quarterback some of the breaking news coverage. And so if anything happens throughout the day, it's on me to, you know, assign it to writers, edit stories, and then get them back like super quick. So that's what I'm doing from nine to five for the most part. Um, and it's all fast paced, like rapid news. Um, so that's fun because like in a typical day, I don't really know what the big story of the day is going to be and, and, and that kind of stuff. It, it keeps it interesting. Um, and then, you know, by the time five o'clock rolls around, I'll go for a run uh, which, you know, I'll take like an hour or 90 minutes or so to really just get out there, unplug for, for a bit. I still have my phone on me, responding to emails occasionally. And all that <laughs> stuff, but I need, I need to get a run in at some point. I'll come back from the run, order some food or make something super quick. And then it's on to either recording podcasts, editing podcasts, um, writing a newsletter, and just doing more work um, from – you know, say seven o'clock to nine thirty, ten ish. And so once I feel that I've done enough and that there's something to put out either the next day or the next couple of days, 
then I'll, you know, finally start to unwind and, you know, maybe have a glass of wine, maybe have a beer and uh, kick back, put on some Netflix until I fall asleep and, and then do it all over again. Usually like the nights can go pretty late sometimes if there's, if I feel like there's quite a bit of extra work to do. So Sidious Mag happens after outside of uh, Sports Illustrated hours. And so, yeah, I mean, sleep gets sacrificed a bunch, um, but it's worth it, uh, I think, when ultimately, you know, people are enjoying what I do. And so I'm not going to stop doing it. And yeah, it's it's a grind, but it's it's a labor of love, I would I would say. And, and when, when do you fit your CDS mag interviews in? Do you just try to make it work? And uh, like uh, um, the growth of CDS mag, like I'm pretty interested to hear like, like, um, like, like how you're feeling with that and, and um, how that's going. Yeah, so yeah. The scheduling for interviews can be tricky sometimes. So like if I have a lunch break, I'll try and sometimes squeeze them in there. Um, or I will schedule them for the first thing as, as soon as five o'clock is done and, and then like roll from five to six or something like that um, and then push the run a little bit further down. So that's why sometimes the nights get a little bit later for me. Um, but yeah, somehow making it work. And, you know, I loved doing interviews in person before, you know, the pandemic. And, and sometimes if I'm traveling out to, you know, Boulder or Portland or something like that, I'm able to meet with multiple athletes and, and get to see them and, interview them so that allows me to bank episodes for like weeks at a time so that's super helpful but that hasn't been the case lately um <laughs> and the growth of of it like i think it's still going pretty dang strong like it's still trending upward like it we're only four years old at, at this point and i'm excited to see it continue growing and that there are people interested in just coming into listening to the podcast maybe for the first time in 2020 and then you realize that there's 200 episodes and you can go back and catch up on as many as, as possible. Um, and, you know, it's not even just on the Sidious Mag podcast. Like last year, I edited uh, over 150 hours worth of podcasts across different, you know, six or seven different shows. And so there's something for everyone, whether it's, you know, the more than running podcast with Dana Giordano that caters more toward like you know, successful women in the sport and entrepreneurs or, you know, Scott Fobble's podcast, Showrunners, which is about just pro runners discussing movies. Like <laughs> there's something fun. There's something different. And that's kind of what I will always want to try and offer up. Yeah. What do you love the most about your current setup and your job? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the reason I got into sports reporting and, and, and journalism for the most part was just because it's a job that allows me in normal times to travel the world. Uh, I've gone to Rio. I've been to, I, I'm going to the Olympics in, in Tokyo. Uh, I've been to the world majors and, and all that stuff. And so uh, that so it's, it's travel, it's meeting interesting people. It's telling some interesting and unique stories that haven't been told before. That's why I do the job, and that's why I want to continue doing it because, like, there's no shortage of stories to tell, and I want to continue doing as much of it as I can. You've mentioned the Usain Bolt um, interview a couple of times. Would you regard that as a career highlight, um, or can you look back on, you know, you've carried out so many interviews already in your career. Um, can you look back at, 
a few a handful of interviews where you're like oh that was so interesting i personally found that so interesting um you know what stands out to you yeah, so yeah. Bolt is obviously, like, that's the biggest name for sure. But I, I wouldn't even say, like, that was the best interview I've done. I think Nick Willis, uh, the podcast episode we did together last February when he was in New York for the Milrose Games, I we literally sat down in his hotel room. He kicked back on the bed, and, <laughs> and I was sitting down, like, on a chair not too far away. And we spoke for 90 minutes about the biggest races of his career and just like all that kind of stuff. I thought that was fascinating. And then very similarly, I sat down and did a, a very, uh, a deep dive into Jenny Simpson's career. And we, we compacted it into one hour where, you know, at the very end of it, she was like, that was really cool to just go back and reflect on all these different things. Like we have to do this again sometime. And so, um, I think those two are some of like the strongest interviews that I've done. Um, you know, there's other episodes, Molly Seidel, Emma Bates, you know, some of these people, um, who are, are having a lot of success now. Um, I like to peel back the curtain on what it took to, to lead to those moments. So, uh, those are kind of the ones that stand out where, you know, yeah, Bolt's the biggest name, but I feel like Nick Willis and, and the, that's, I think one of the best interviews I've done. Yeah. What, like, this is a hard question to answer, but what do you feel like? Uh, your your particular strengths are um, that that make you um, good at your job. I think it's you know the fact that I look maybe twenty years old. Uh, <laughs> people are not as intimidated by me. Um, I I'm also I'm still running and like giving this a go where I'm pushing myself to hit PRs and that kind of stuff. So there's a relatability that also comes with me where the people I'm talking to might be trying to break four minutes for the mile or something like that. But I understand what that's like chasing a big goal like that because I'm trying to break five minutes for the mile. So maybe I'm not as fast, but I know what it's like to put in the training and, and the work and, and, and go after sort of big goals. And so because I'm still sort of involved in doing this um, myself, I feel like people can also relate to that. And so like, I'm not just like the, the old white guy in the uh, in the media zone who's been covering the sport for thirty something years, like I'm in the trenches. Face, I think who is still trying to get the best out of himself as well. So yeah. Where are you going to break five? Where are you going to break three? <laughs> oh, so Chicago would be the breaking three. Um, that's the plan. Uh, Chicago was my first ever marathon in 2013, and I was 19 years old at the time, and I ran 417. It'd be cool and badass to go and run Chicago and go under three. So just say I skipped every single three-hour mark and, and, and just broke three uh, on, in my 10th marathon. Yeah. So that's the easy answer. For for the mile, it's going to take multiple cracks at it. I'm at 508, 509, um, so I need to chop down at least two seconds per lap, and it's going to take multiple attempts. It's tough because there aren't, like, too many organized races nowadays that are available. So, you know, I would predict it happens during the summer. Um, that's, I think, when I'll be, like, maybe June-ish, I'll be in peak shape for it. Um, maybe it lines up with the Olympic trials in Eugene, Oregon. And if there's an all-comers open mile for people to do, I'm going to do it. And, like, if it happens on the new Hayward Field track, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Well, I saw you had a, a crack at the mile a month or two ago, um, and it was just you and someone else was pacing you. 
Uh, what meet was that? Was that the Sound Running Festival? Or no, that no? wasn't the Sound Running meet. That was the Trials of Miles meet. Like, it's this new, these, these new guys organizing it. They're actually going to have a meet in Austin, Texas next month with some pretty big names. And so I'm going to get involved with, like, doing the commentary on that. And so the way that race came about for me was they asked me to be the commentator for it. I said yes. Um, like, I loved doing that. Like, it's something I want to continue to do more of and get back into because I hadn't done in, like, four or five years since I would, I'd done it with Flow Track. And, uh, but at the same time, I realized that I'd been training pretty hard for like the, the mile, but there was no legit race opportunity for me. So I talked to the race organizers and said, Hey, like before the meet starts, like, can we squeeze in like a mile for me to do with like my buddy pacing me that way? Like I actually have something to look forward to in training and it's a legit race where there was official timing. Um, if I PR it, it would count. I'm one of those people that, like, if I were to run a virtual race or something like that, and I PR, I would call it an unofficial personal best because, like, I need it. I need things to happen without any sort of doubt or question to be left afterwards. So, um, who knows? I might ask for them to add a mile to this meet in Austin, Texas, next month uh, in fe at the end of February. Um, so that could be a thing that I can look forward to, but. Uh, yeah, that was an awesome opportunity. And the fact was that since it was just me and my pacer, who was like a good buddy of mine, uh, I was going to win the race no matter what. Like, so <laughs> I, was, I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really interested. You, you asked, um, you know, three or four similar questions uh, in every uh, CDS Mag uh, podcast episode you do. You finish, you round, you round out with them. Um, one particular one was if you had 25 shots from half court on the basketball court, to make $25 million if you got it, but then if you miss, um, you have a 25 year jail sentence. Um, uh, yeah, what would you particularly choose? I say no every single time. $25 million is not my price of freedom. I would, uh, I like to play it safe. Um, and I, I feel like my life would certainly be different if I had $25 million, but uh, I, I would not be worth going to jail for that long. Yeah, yeah, and I've always been interested. Why did you come up with that question? Like, um, like wh what was the yeah? Basis? I think it was just sort of me and a, a buddy of mine might have like stumbled on it on Reddit or something like that when we were in college, and it was just always made for like a great bar debate. Yeah, and <laughs> so it just led to some great banter, and I figured it would be a fun thing to end the show with. Uh, so I started doing it and then like it's caught on where, you know, people think about it more and like it gets the wheels turning. You can see it when I ask it, like they're wondering like, who would I do it? Would I not do it? In some cases we've had athletes send us videos of like them in the in the basketball at a basketball court <laughs> attending it. Uh, which is always fun to see. But yeah, it was just started I think it was just bar banter. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um I, I look forward to actually listening to the varied responses because it gives you a bit of an insight to the athlete as well uh, or the person that you're interviewing um, 100%. yeah and i think yeah. like i haven't done it yet maybe now is a good time for me to start doing it where over the course of the year i just cut those parts uh <laughs> at the very end of the year just one episode that's just like who would take the shots who wouldn't take the shots um, <laughs> something to always keep track of yeah 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 for sure um another another one is uh worst thing you have ever read about yourself on let's run and um yeah like i um i was interested like because you know let's run um you know it's always dangerous to scroll the message boards on let's run um but yeah yeah <laughs> for me it's 
I think someone once complained I had a whiny voice uh, very early on when I started the podcast, and so I've, I've thought about it ever since. Um, not that, not that I can't really do anything to change it. I'm trying to think what else. There. Someone's obsessed with saying I have small hands. I have normal sized hands for, for, for the most part. It's just very interesting that that's what they've you know decided to push. Um, what else was there? I think there was something about my training once. It was just like I'm. It's just so erratic sometimes. Just like if someone might have followed me on Strava or something like that, and you're like, he doesn't know what he's doing, and or his race schedule is so weird. Uh, because there'll be times where I'm training for a marathon, but then I'll do Fifth Avenue Mile maybe the day after like a 22 mile long run, and so they're like. What exactly is he doing? And so, uh, I think I and then I credited it once when I was like I leaned into it as a motivating factor once before a race. So, um, I, yeah, I, I mean I read the message boards and that kind of stuff, and I'm and I'm a fan of the site. Um, I actually do want to work on a documentary about it uh, with a friend of mine. Like it's something that we've we've been exploring recently, and so. That'd be cool, and maybe something down the road is Let's Run dot com the documentary, and I, I would love to be like an executive producer on something like that. Yeah, I, I certainly um, you know check it quite frequently um, to be up to date with you know what's news in a- athletics. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also liked another another article that I think Stephen Kirsch wrote um, on CDS Mag uh, website about um, Let's Run as well. Um, oh, that's actually one of the very first articles that was ever published on the site. It might have even gone on like the first or second day that we ever did. And so it, it's funny because I think that's when, because we wrote about them, someone posted it on the message boards, and then that's <laughs> um, then that's how people heard of us for the first time. So it wasn't intentional. Yeah. Uh, but it did help, I guess, like Traction. kickstart our name recognition out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then um, you always ask worst drug test story ever. Um, uh, or, oh, no, fu- funniest, drug funniest drug test story. Yeah, yeah. I have never been drug tested. Uh, uh, but what's the, what's the funniest one that you've heard? Oh, Noah Adrati recently had me in tears laughing when he, right after the marathon project, he'd run 209, finished second, and so he's, you know, struggling to go to the bathroom, does it, fills the, the cup and the sample up to, like, whatever mark it was that you need to provide, but the cap didn't screw on properly, and there's no way to unscrew it, um, so it just kind of jammed, so he hands it to the drug tester to try and figure out, and the guy says... Turns it upside down, and then his urine just starts pouring all over the table. Um, and so that's unfortunate. Like, the fact that the, in this moment he's watching this sample that he just tried to muster up just get poured all over this table, and then the guy has to clean it up, and he has to also maybe help out cleaning it up. So uh, that was just hilarious. Man, he managed to like provide enough of a sample to to um, get by, but I, I was just dying of laughter hearing that and then i think shelby houlihan has said before how like she uh, really i think the drug testers came one day and she wanted to get it done as quick as possible just pounded two beers or something like that and (laughs) and got it done fairly quick so that's something that uh, those are some two that stick out in my head yeah that that was uh yeah noah droddy he was in all sorts um when he crossed the finish line so (laughs) that just probably compounded um (laughs) the difficulties he was facing after the race (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um yeah chris I, I i've been wrapped with um yeah just chatting you to to you today um 
uh, for listeners that um, you know, it's, you know, potentially their first time that they've heard you, um, how how could they sort of find out more information about you and where 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 can they go? Yeah, so you can obviously follow Sidious Mag on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's at Sidious Mag on all three of those platforms. The Sidious Mag podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, you know, Stitcher, SoundCloud. No, not SoundCloud. Uh, Spotify, and you know, I'm on Twitter at Chris Chavez. That's C H A V E Z. Um, on Instagram, I'm a little bit different. It's Chris underscore J underscore Chavez. Um, so. Yeah, those are the places to find me for the most part, but uh, lots of stuff coming on Sidious Mag. You know, that podcast feed remains, I think, the most active um, that I keep. I, I do my best to keep it as, as active as possible. So, yeah. And just to finish, um, uh, like with Tokyo Olympics, um, do you think that'll go ahead? And, um, yeah, what, do you have any news there? Or? I'm optimistic. I'm yeah. optimistic. And, yeah, I, I look forward to it um, if – I need to get a vaccine. I plan on taking the vaccine the first moment that it's available to me um, here in New York City. Um, but if I need it to go to Tokyo, I'll get it no matter what. Um, I think that it'll be, it'll be a different Olympics for sure. Maybe they scale down on the number of people going and, and the number of people in the stands. But it'll be special if they can pull it off. And so uh, fingers crossed it happens because that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I look forward to every four years. Thanks so much, Chris. Um, you really are um, providing, you know, a lot of great um, uh, interviews and and a lot of a lot of um, my friends and and people that I know listen to your podcast um, and they certainly get a lot of value out of it. You know, whether it's driving to work or on runs. Um, so, yeah, thanks for you know helping fill the void with the running running media. And um, providing, um, yeah, such such interesting stuff. So, yeah, thanks thanks so much for the chat. No, thanks for having me, and, and I appreciate you guys supporting it. No worries. Awesome.